press of flesh, Pappy? Do a little politicking? I'll press your flesh, you impudent son of a bitch. You don't tell your Pappy how to cut the electorate. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communicating. Oh, yeah. That's a powerful new force. Welcome once again to my humble little podcast. I'm curious. Um, yeah, I'm just curious. I don't know what I'm curious about. I'm just curious. Um, you never really know exactly how these things are going to play with people. And so, but I think that's kind of the point. Um, it's probably, if you go into... Um, if you go into this stuff and your immediate thought is like, how many views am I going to get? Or how many, you know, listens or downloads or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Um, you're you're going to ultimately end up making uh, a lower quality um, product or production. I mean, paying attention to that stuff's okay uh, as far as, you know, whether or not you should even waste your time because not nobody's listening you know do you really want to continue with it or not um that just reminded me i really have to start working on my ums you don't really think about that when you're just talking but when you're sitting here all by yourself in a with a staring at a microphone and a computer screen then you don't necessarily have the same visual cues that need to keep a conversation going and so you end up taking these pauses and you end up making verbal pauses which would be like and um so going back and re-listening to some of these things I've been a little overly cognizant of that detail so I apologize for my ums you know their general weirdness it is uh, the recording this on what is the first day of class for the university on the fall semester of 2020. So, uh, probably be people listening to this down the road who are taking this class in future semesters, but I'm keeping the same recordings. Maybe, maybe I'll redo the lectures. Maybe I'll uh, change some stuff. Who knows? But as far as recording this, it's it's absolutely a beautiful day outside. There's not a cloud in the sky. 
temperatures are reasonable for August. It's uh, it's just pretty. Everything's nice. It's just all things being equal, it's a lovely day to be outside. In a you know, normal scenario, this would be a lovely day to go back to school. But because we're in the middle of this pandemic, the um, it's all of this is just accompanied by this sort of weird uh, dread, this unknown. Um, I see, there's an um again, and I guess that's that's okay uh, to a degree. Life's gonna have its unknowns. And really the only thing you can ever do is just sort of do the best you can. Uh, but where we are right now is sort of this kind of collective anxiety. And it's um, interesting to just see how it plays out. I mean, we've been here before. Uh, this I, I keep seeing things are like it's never going to go back to the way it was before. Eh, yeah, it, it may not exactly. But it's going to go back to something that feels like normal. We will be able to go back in the crowds again someday. We will be able to do whatever the things that we used to do. I mean, plagues have come before, much worse than this one. Um, and life eventually, eventually, sometimes it takes years, but eventually it circles back around to uh, something resembling normal. Now, one of the things that this has allowed uh, me to do, and I guess a lot of people, you, you start sort of going back and re-looking at the world, and kind of, or you're, you're, you're not looking, well, you're looking at the world, but you're, you're looking at your own personal world, and you're, you, these are good times to have some level of reflection. A few nights ago, so it's late, it's August, uh, the moon was, you know, no moon at night, or at least it, it would come up really, really late. And this is the time of the year, at least in the northern hemisphere, that you have a really good view of the Milky Way. And so I pulled out my camera and I was like, you know what? I've never tried to take star photos, like, uh, at least like Milky Way photos. And it's, it's, I live in an area that I'm far enough away from lights that I can see it. And so I thought, okay, well, the first night I just walked out in my yard, kind of got out past, you know, the lights of the cabin and tried to get a picture. And it's like, okay, I got something, but I didn't, I need to get further away because there, there's still street lights around. Um, there's, you know, a few lights here and there. And I really needed to get deeper out into the mountains. And so I just, you know, drove up into the mountains, you know, uh, about I guess about 10 miles out, out in the middle of literally nowhere. I'm in the National Forest. And there's this overlook that I, I know about. Um, it's one of those kind of places that locals know about. And... Uh, beautiful it faces the south which is exactly where you want uh, to look because that's where the Milky Way is um, and then but it's this beautiful overlook so it's up on top of a mountain and then there's a river that runs down at the base of it 
And so I drove up there, and I'm trying to get you, you know, I'm going to take these photos. And so I get there, I pull the camera out, and I just, I go and, I, you know, I take a flashlight so I can go and walk to the edge. And, because it's dark. Dark, dark, dark. I mean, there is no moon. There are no street lights. There is no, there's not much to see. Uh, the only light is coming from those stars. And yeah, one wrong step and nobody sees you again. So I'm out there and I walk to the edge and then I just sort of turn the lights out and then I'm got my camera on the tripod. But again, my eyes are still not acclimated to this world of uh, darkness. And so I just sort of sit there, and I wait, just letting my eyes adjust. And eventually you just start to be able to see, you know. There's physiological things going on with your eyes that allows them to, you know, adjust. You know, the transition of rod and cone cells from taking it, you know, dominant role. And then after that I can see a certain amount but then I start doing uh, these exposures for the uh, camera and I'm doing uh, 30 second long exposures which is just like right on the edge of being too long because um, you know the rotation of the earth if you do too long of an exposure on a star you start to get streaks so I am working on you know trying to get that right thing but then you can see the Milky Way with your bare eyes but then you do these long exposures and it allows time for that light to get through to penetrate and collect in the on the camera and then you start to realize how much more vibrant this thing is if you just have the eyes that are capable of seeing it and you put yourself in the place uh, that you're capable of seeing it I think maybe we don't look up enough anymore uh, I think we tend to look down a little too much I don't know where I'm going with that it's just something to think about it reminded me that night, like I could see the stars really well, and actually one of the other things that happened with that is it actually turns out there there was uh, the glow of a city. It was about a city is about forty miles away, but you know those long exposures, you could really see the glow of it on the horizon. And uh, you know, so that kind of actually sort of screwed up my photo a little bit, but you know, it is what it is. It's not like I can move it out of the way. Uh, but beyond that that night because I, I did that a couple of nights in a row until I you know found the right location I ended up going to another place with a lake that had a uh, it's actually closer to where I live but actually it turned out to be a better location um, and there's numb see it right there on the timeline but that experience sort of took me back to um, something I did oh, almost a year ago it was last December not quite a year. I was helping a friend sail his boat from the Texas coast to the Florida coast. And we decided we were just going to go straight across the Gulf of Mexico in a sailboat. 
And long story short, we didn't make it. Uh, we sailed about you know a couple of days offshore and just kept going and going. Uh, he was having a rough time of it, uh, with some seasickness and some we were having some issues with the boat, and we just um, eventually just sort of made a call. It was time to go back, but that's not the point. The point is we were out in the middle of the ocean, and it, you know, it doesn't really take that long to get to a point where you, you don't see land, you have no cell service, there is nothing but water in every direction. And the only thing that's guiding you is this compass, and if you have some sort of navigation equipment on, on your uh, vessel. And so we're out there, it's it's pretty cool, I mean, it's southern gulf of mexico but it's still you know it's winter time it's, uh, we were, it was over christmas actually um, and the wind was stronger than was forecasted when we were out there and he you know there was a point though that i was sailing and i was really tired because his uh, his autopilot didn't work so which meant you had to Somebody had to be at the wheel, you know, 24 hours a day. And in this particular case, it mostly ended up being me, uh, especially in these overnight, uh, this overnight passage. And one of the things that people warned us about was like, be careful because there's, you know, there's lots of oil rigs out there and some of the old ones aren't lit up at night. Okay, well, that's comforting. You know, but again, when you're out there, your eyes can adjust. You can start seeing things because you're just out in the darkness. Uh, but on this night, it's kind of like recent, you know, um, this week, was, there was no moon. It's just completely dark, but except we're out in the middle of the ocean. And the wind started picking up. It was stronger and stronger. Um, and so there's this howling sound. You, you, the only place you ever hear the sound is when it's the wind's blowing through like the rigging of a sailboat. It's it's very this very haunting sound. And uh, the other guy was asleep, and I'm out there alone. It's completely dark, and you can see the stars. Like like I said, I could go out and see the stars here at night, and that's what I grew up with. And I always thought that I could really see the stars. I've never seen the stars quite like I had that night. It was clear. There's no, you know, haze in the sky. It was just no moon, just the stars. I could see the glow of Houston, you know, from two to three hundred miles away. Out, you know, it was just a faint glow on the horizon, but it was definitely there. And so I'm in total darkness. The wind's blowing harder. The waves are picking up. So this is not exactly what I would call flat sea. It's kind of cold, and I just remember kind of leaning over the gunnel rail and holding on with the wheel and just sort of feeling my way because it was, I couldn't see where the wind was coming from. I only I had to feel it, and then I had this thought: I'm in this beautiful place, and then I that that reminder of watch out for the oil rigs that are out there that aren't lit up. And the only thing I could see as far as the water, I could only hear the water. I could, I could see the splash 
of the water on the from my bow lights or these navigation lights in the very front of the boat. And so there's this anxiety that I'm in this, you know, very wild and unprotected position. And at any moment, I could crash into something that I do not see and never could see. And if I did, it's over because there's no coming back from that. And so I just remember having to settle in with my anxiety on that. Because you can't just stop. You have to you have to be making forward motion. It doesn't do any good to just sort of, you know, go down below and hope for the best. Not in that scenario. You know, some scenarios I guess that's the way to go, but not not in this one. Anyway, so it was just I don't know. All these things were sort of kind of bringing me back to today. We have the situation that we have. And, you know, we have to live with that anxiety. Um, but we still have the stars. We still have we still have reasons to look up. I guess that's it. Even in the worst of it. There's always... Um, there's a reason to look up. And that's not nothing. So, um, before I jump into the actual lecture... I'm going to play a song from a band called Over the Rhine, who I used to, when I would see them, they'd do a midnight show at that festival uh, I'd go to, and I would just, they're just so kind of smooth uh, as far as the band's concerned. It's a husband and wife, and they're a company band, and uh, I would just get my coffee, and I would just sit in the back of the, uh, back of the room. And just listen to them play. And it's one of those that you can just sort of close your eyes and go, alright, it's going to be alright. One, two, three, four. Change is good. 
Yeah, so this feels like one of those podcasts. It's like, crap, why am I even going to bother doing anything else? Like, I feel like I should just end it there. But then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is actually supposed to be, um, you know, a lecture for class. So it just seems like it was a lecture for class that started, you know, with story time. I will say, I'll follow that up, going with the, uh, kind of back to the earlier thing. It is a, a humbling experience to be out in the middle of the ocean by yourself. Like, I've been out on the ocean on, like, a cruise ship before. But you you can look out, and you're like, that's a lot of water out there. But, you know, you're still on this massive thing. And um, with thousands of people around you. And so it sort of, you know, it, it makes it a little bit easier to forget. But when you're on a small boat, you know, like a a 40-foot boat, which, you know, if you're on a lake, a 40-foot boat's a pretty big boat. But if you're out in the middle of the ocean, a 40-foot boat feels pretty tiny. And you feel very small because you see all that's above you and you know all that's below you. And you're just sort of floating in this space in between. Anyway, all right, I have no, I have no freaking idea how I'm going to segue from that into what we're talking about today uh, for class. <laughs> it's chapter three, planning multimedia. And if you're my one of my students, you're probably like, dear Lord, would he just shut up and get to the lecture so I can get on with my life? Um, yeah, so, you know, now you know better. You can skip ahead like 20 minutes and, you know, get to the actual meat of the thing. But, you know, what fun is that? So we're going to talk about planning multimedia because, again, we are storytellers, obviously, um, because I can't shut up long enough to actually get to the lecture. Um, what I, I've talked about previous weeks was that each medium has its own particular strengths. And uh, so we're going to hit a little bit of today on what those strengths are as we progress through the semester We'll dive deep into each of them, and then we'll talk about them. But today, um, we're still kind of in the early stages. We're in the planning world, kind of, you know, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, kind of a way you should approach things. Um, hey, there's another, there's another um. So when we talk about telling multimedia stories, um, it's, you know, because we're, we're, we're using all the tools that are available to us. Uh, to most accurately depict the thing that we're trying to to talk about, or we're trying to create the most either detailed or vivid images of that thing. And so, one of the first things that we need to do is just establish whether or not there's there's enough to that story to um, to even bother with it, you know? Because some, especially in the world of news, some stories just aren't that interesting and they're just not that deep you just sort of need a report of like this is what happened and kind of the end you know it was a the city council had a meeting they talked about x y and z y might have been a little bit more important z might have been a little less important who knows what it was but you just sort of you know you transcribe what happened and you move on with your life you know it's not a very visual medium so taking photos of you know a bunch of people sitting around a table isn't that interesting you know, there's 
maybe you know it, it might have got a little more interesting if you had you know some people from the public talking and somebody was getting pretty animated that that might change things a little bit um you know so there's there's stuff that's going on out there so the first thing we need to do is just to establish whether or not there is a um, enough enough there the example i use in class a lot is um, there's this intersection right kind of the main entrance of the university it's it's an intersection with the light and it's kind of in a curve and it's just it's just a terrible intersection and it's notorious for having accidents there and it's one of those things that people have, they they talk all the time about we're we're going to fix that but then they never actually do it um and so if we were like all right I'll, I would pick some random student out of the class and I'm like so little bobby you know, little Bobby. I don't know. If ever, yeah, I've had some students named Bobby. Um, you know, whoever had, let's say they had an accident. Someone, they were waiting to turn in the campus and they had a fender bender. Somebody rear into the back of their car. Nobody was hurt, you know, but there was, you know, significant amount of damage. And the question is, is that even worth, you know, doing much about? Um, the answer probably no, not really. Um, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Now, you may consider doing something like, you know, because I said this this particular intersection is sort of notorious for having a lot of accidents. So maybe it would be a good idea or, you know, worth considering that you might do a more in-depth story about sort of the history of that intersection. And you're just using this particular example as um, kind of a, a segue into that. And that's okay. You can do that. But again, you know, that's that's research that may or may not be what you want to do or may not be what, you know, your editor or publisher wants you to do. So um, well, there's that. And then and then you start thinking, well, OK, let's change the scenario a little bit. Let's just say same scenario. Car got ran, uh, you know, rear ended. And now it's not just a run-of-the-mill fender bender is the trunk popped open turns out there's you know 200 pounds of cocaine and a dead body in it suddenly we have a far more interesting story right things are changing and in the in the way that we would approach our story now has changed and again the story isn't necessarily anymore that the car had an accident it's all the other stuff and the, you know, sweet little college student that everybody thought was just a normal person, you know, never would hurt anybody. Suddenly you find out has a shady, shady life and apparently a far more interesting one. So that's where we start. That's the place that we start. Um, now, the other thing to think about is if you're going to do, a, a, even with a, a single medium, there are almost always two mediums. Like you typically you might if it's a written story there's almost always like a photograph that goes along with it or if it's a video story at least at some point there's almost always a little bit of writing some sort of uh something even on this podcast like i'll write like a little teaser synopsis thing at the very beginning that so when you click on it you, you kind of have an idea of what might be coming so there's always a secondary medium now, when we have photos, photos can be, you know, they stand alone on their own. Um, I've got 
I've got people I'm going to let you listen to because I'm going to talk to him at some point uh, this semester. And one of them is a, a really good friend of mine and a really good photographer. Um, but again, I'm getting away from the point. So photo galleries, there's primarily two different ways that people display them. So if you're doing a photo documentary, you can have a linear or non-linear format. A linear format is like what you think of like PowerPoint. You just click from one slide to the next slide and those things are predetermined. That order is predetermined by whoever the creator was. A non-linear uh, distribution is something more like a, a photo gallery where you may see them all on one page and you just click it whichever one you want. And so we have to think about the way that we want to present those and if it matters if people see one thing before another thing. Now when we get into audio, audio is um, audio is interesting. Audio has been considered, it's been called like the most visual format. And that's, that can be good or bad depending on who's, audio can be good or bad depending on who's behind the microphone. I'm not going to judge myself on this particular one, but you use audio when there are sounds that can't be described or word in words and when someone the way someone says something adds meaning like you can write things but you know like when I was talking about uh, a little bit ago like the sound of a um, sailboat or the wind blowing through the rigging of a sailboat it's, it's just this very haunting sound and the only way you're ever really going to know what I'm talking about is if you actually listen to it. So, maybe when I go back, I'll edit that sound in here. Um, see if I remember. Anyway, so that's why we would use audio. Video is best used when you want to show action. So you've got still photos and you've got video. Video is, you know, it's life in motion. And so you can see, and that motion is important to the overall structure of the story. And video is most effective when it does a few things. It illustrates the story, it captures the attention of the viewer, it's to the point, um, and it's not repeating the same stuff you're getting in other formats. So if you're, if you're doing a larger story, one of the things that you really don't want to do is kind of overlap themes. Like the... And so I don't want to sit cover the same thing in an audio story that I do with my video story or with my print story. I don't I don't want to mix all things up because you're overlapping. You want to you want to tell different parts of the same story with the different mediums, and you know they all need to be able to stand on their own in case that's the only thing somebody encounters. But they also don't need to just um, say the same thing over and over and over again. Information graphics. These are, you know, a pie chart is an inf is an infographic, and you can get really creative with these if you're good or you know where to look um, for, you know, the ways to build them. But infographics are are used to visualize statistical information, and when the comparison or visual depiction uh, of a process is necessary. So it's not just about you know charts. Sometimes you even get into an animation. And doing different stuff where you know the the it shows processes or processes and how to do things then we get into information layering and this is what we would call in journalism is peeling the onion there's always a story that's on the surface 
Um, but if you start peeling back the layers of that story, you you tend to find something that's a little more interesting. Um, let's say you're presented with a topic, and you immediately you, you immediately get an idea of like, oh, I want to do a story about this. There's there's a good chance that that's a terrible idea to do. Uh, because if it was your first idea, there's a really good chance it was also the first idea of a dozen other people. So what you want to do is like, all right, that's a good start, but what's underneath that? Let's peel back a layer. And then maybe you peel back another layer. And then you peel back another layer. And now you're starting to get into some interesting stuff. Um, there's a thing that I, I and I still want to say from another book on, on story development we have two different kinds of stories that we can pitch. We've got no shit stories and oh shit stories. And I'll explain what I mean. So on a college campus, and I'm like, I need you guys to do a story about something that's going on on campus. And almost inevitably, someone will go, I'm going to do a story about how there's not enough parking. That would be what we would call a no shit story because you and every other generation of student who've come before you for the past 20 years has pitched that same story. What you got to go do is dig deeper and maybe abandon that and go find something that's far more interesting that's only going to happen if you talk to people. Maybe you can find, you know... I don't know. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to throw out a, another story that's because um, I'm not coming up with one at the top of my head. But you get something that's far more interesting and far more compelling, and that's what we would call an oh, oh shit kind of story, right? You see the difference? All right, good. Now, the thing about information layering is when we go back to this this idea of telling a story from multiple fronts with different mediums you're stacking this stuff up you're kind of creating a, you're creating a three-dimensional um, story so to speak you know you can look at a photo just well just sort of imagine metaphorically speaking this this story is sitting on a pedestal when you're looking at it from a like more of a one-dimensional thing like it's just a print story like you, there's only one angle that you can see you stand in front of it and you look at it when you do information layering in a multimedia approach then you create something that's more three-dimensional it's more like a sculpture that you can walk around and you can see details and depending on which way you're looking at it and which way you approach it you can see different things and it's the combination of all of these different pieces that gets you, it gives you a much more holistic view of the thing that you're trying to, to see. Now, when we talk about the other things, something you can do is if you want to team up with other people, uh, and this is what we talked about in the last chapter, uh, it's the maestro concept where it's a, it's a collaborative approach to storytelling where you get other people who are really good at different pieces and you bring them all together and then they, everybody brings their, their A-game to that, and then you tell the story from a lot of other folks, with, with the perspective of a lot of folks too, which again, adds to the comp complexity. 
So here's some here's some advice. Take advantage of the web's potential for nonlinear presentations. Like you can do a lot of things with the internet. You can do a podcast. You can do, you know, you can literally do what I'm doing is just sitting here at a microphone and talking, but you can also create audio stories that are edited and complex and have interesting pieces. And so you can take advantage of that. But also create each piece of these things to be able to stand on their own, stand on their own because that's going back to what I was saying earlier. Somebody may stumble across you know, a story online, and but they may only see your photo gallery, or they may only see a print story, or they may only see a video, and so that thing needs to be able to stand on its own. It doesn't need to be something where you they encounter it, but it doesn't make any sense because they don't know the, understand the context of it. So make sure that these things are capable of standing on their own, and also avoid those redundancies that I was talking about. Your print story doesn't need to be about the same thing as your video story. It's you're telling different pieces and you're looking at different angles, different perspectives with each of those. Also, when you're creating stuff, avoid editing your ideas too early in the process. So we've all done brainstorming and in the early stages you come up with ridiculous things. Um, I would say don't edit your ideas. Don't throw something away too early, but also don't stop after your first idea or two keep going get a lot of get a lot of possibilities out there before you do something and so when you're asking yourself though is this thing good enough is it's is there enough there um to be to warrant a multimedia approach ask yourself a few questions can it be broken down into several topical chunks? Like, is this story meaty enough that I can I can break it into pieces and tell it different places? Um, so I spent about two years working on uh, the U.S.-Mexican border on a story on immigration. And, you know, the longer I was down there, the more stories I was able to find and the more ways I could tell that story. And the, the way that I ended up finding the, the best the best lens wasn't through the border patrol and it wasn't even necessarily through uh, the immigrants themselves. It was from the humanitarian workers and the um, immigration attorneys that I encountered um, because they're the, they were actually the ones with the best stories and also were the most willing to talk. So think about those things and think about the way you break things down into stories and you think about how stuff comes together. Also, is the thing that you're working on, does it describe some sort of process? If it does, that might be a good indicator for either something that's video or uh, an infographic of some sort. So what is it you're trying to explain? Also, under the infographic stuff, it has a lot of statistical information. Like, print is a far more effective medium. Print and infographics are a far more effective medium to tell things that hold a lot of detail that aren't necessarily in. Sometimes it's not very visual. And so that's where the, um, the infographics come from, and that's where the room to explain what all that information means comes to in the print world. And also, is there an emotional narrative? Um, it's You don't want to get too hung up on the emotional side. One of the things that's sort of a 
it's easy to fall down into a, a, a rabbit hole of one emotional story after another emotional story. And that part's important. Um, but you're also trying to avoid your own bias and the bias of the, the people you're talking to because, you know, there's a tendency to kind of want to be on their side in a lot of cases. So you have to be careful. Is there an emotional narrative? And then what's the limit of that emotional narrative? And what are your photography, you know, photography moments? How visual is the thing? What kind of stuff? What kind of stuff's there? Um, what kind of historical references does it have? Going back to that, when I was talking about at the very beginning of the um, that intersection. You know, if there's a if there's a long history of things going on in a certain place, maybe it's worth investigating, digging in a little deeper. Um, and when you're putting this stuff together, especially if you're going to develop it for the web and you're trying to figure out exactly how you're going to tell that story through all these pieces, it's not a bad idea just to go ahead and break out a sheet of paper and start sketching out some storyboards. And you don't have to be a good artist to do storyboards. You can use storyboards for like even video production too, but also like uh, you're basically laying out the, uh, the way that you're going to tell the story, the order. And if you can do stick figures and boxes, you can do storyboarding. You just need to divide the thing into parts, like figure out exactly, all right, kind of what are my chapters? Where is this going to go? Step one is divide the thing into parts. And then start looking like which medium fits each part the best. Each, You know, you, you come up with all your stories and you're like, all right, which one of these stories is best told with, with photographs? Which one's best told with a, a written story? Which one's best told in some other form? And then start writing, you know, putting it all together. Start, you know, creating sketches that's going to figure out how the story structure is and how it's going to be packaged out and how you're going to deliver it to your audience. And then you just play around. And then, you know, because you're not necessarily going to stick with that. But it's a good place to start. There's always something. There's always something that you can do. All right. And I'm going to wrap it up with that. So, literally, I think I, you know, I split the time rambling and the other half going through the chapter. So, read for my students. Read your book. Read the words that are on the page. Read, look at the pictures. Read the captions. It's going to help you. All right? Don't just look at the PowerPoint and skim through this half-heartedly. Dive deep dive dive deep all right so i'm going to take you out with um the martian chronicles project 2013 this is the summer night you guys have a great day
Boxing.